You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by SolarAy Energy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, and Wattwatches, providing super smart devices to monitor and manage energy use. Hello and welcome to the Energy Insiders podcast, our weekly summary of um, the events in the energy market over the past week. My name is Giles Parkinson and joining me as usual is David Leach, ITK analyst and contributor to Renew Economy. How are you, David? I'm very well, thanks, Giles, and I trust all our listeners uh, are well. Uh, It's uh, just you and I tonight. We've both been working so hard and I guess all our guests have been working hard and but, uh, I, yes. I well, look, we, we we did we did plan to um, have a guest, but he found himself with an iPad and without the right um, connections to to do it. But that's that's a shame. We'll we'll, we'll get back in touch at a later stage. But look, um, a few things going on just when we thought that the energy market was sort of you know quietening down. Um, South Australia, I guess we'll start there. The election was on Saturday, and I guess. Um, well, pretty much um, in retrospect, I think I think there's a lot of hope that um, Jay Weather would get returned, but in the end, he did not. And 16 years of Labor power came to an end, and now we have Steve Marshall and the Liberals. Well, I think that is the nature of democracy. And uh, one thing I'm always going to respect is the right in a democracy for people to vote as they see fit. Um, and uh, 16 years is a good run. Uh, I think everyone understands that the Jay Weatherall government uh, as far as energy policy goes, had been steering its own course and one that we here at Renew Economy believe very strongly in. And he was a very able spokesperson for, for the energy policy. Uh, having said all of that, it's absolutely the other side can have a go. That's, that's sport for you. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, I'd just like to pay tribute to Jay Weatherall too. I've sort of um, first interviewed him in Paris at the Climate Change Conference and I found him to be a... Um, well, I found him to be one of the few people who actually sort of lead from the front on climate and energy policy in Australia and I think he will be missed. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with Stephen Marshall. Um, we'll just go through a couple of their policies first, but he certainly found pretty quickly how sensitive it can be when he was speaking on Radio National yesterday. Um made a comment about the uh, Tesla um, virtual power plant and saying, no, we won't go ahead with that. So we duly wrote a story. And my goodness me, what a reaction. Um, it's probably one of the most popular stories we've ever published on the page as people express their outrage. Um, it was the subject of the first press conference he had after being sworn in. It was on Q&A on Monday night. Um, he's going to find that the energy policy and his energy moves are going to be keenly watched. Well, I think there's no doubt about that. And uh, my view has long been that South Australia's uh, path into renewable energy is is largely set. And it's set by virtue of the fact that they have a limited interconnector at the moment, whether you think that's good or bad, uh, and that there isn't any coal in the state. So, you know, in the end, it comes back to renewables if they want to do it themselves. And the question has long been for South Australia and continues to be how they're going to firm up those renewables. And the question is also how to get their uh, uh, energy price to the same level as the rest of Australia. Now, I know that in the last quarter, as you said in your uh, report today, that over the last three months, it has been at Victoria's level. Not frankly that that is anything to write home about, let's be honest. No, that's Uh, true enough. 
but the, the question is how to firm up all the wind and solar and whether it's best done by importing power and exporting power and building a big grid or whether South Australia should do it in the go it alone sort of semi-island mode uh, that, that batteries and pumped hydro could provide for them. Well, it's going to be interesting. So they do support a new interconnector and they have promised to pay $200 million of the um, the cost, but it's probably going to cost five times that much. But that probably won't happen, I'd imagine, look, six years at the earliest, probably longer, once you go through all the different things. They do support the but, solar... But Giles, fir- you know, it's, it's a question of whether they can get any pumped hydro will ever get built any faster than that. Just ask Snowy. Go on, keep going. <laughs> Well, that's fair enough. Um, no, 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 that is true enough. Look, one thing that will be built quicker than that is solar thermal and that um, uh, solar tower at Port Augusta because their new energy minister, Dan Van Holst Pelican, who I understand used to be an NBL basketballer and a, um, a former executive for BP, um, he's, his electric covers Port Augusta and, and frankly the Hornsdale wind farm and um, the Tesla big battery and just about every other renewable energy project that's been built recently in South Australia. And he's a great fan um, of that tower. So we can safely assume that's going to go ahead. We've, there's a bunch of other stories which has been locked in. So um, it's going to be interesting because despite his fact that he's not going to have a target, I think we're going to get to 75% probably before 2025. What is going to be interesting is what his take on the neg would be. And there was certainly an expectation from the um, coalition that um, South Australia would fall into line and um, and vote with the coalition in Canberra and just sort of wave everything through. But um Look, funnily enough, I actually got a call this afternoon from one of Steve Marshall's people, and um, that's not necessarily going to be the case. They are acutely aware of the lack of competition in the South Australian market, the dominance by LG, AGL. So they understand the need to get extra competition in the market. And as you just said, that comes with dispatchable generation. Yeah, and look, the energy, um, the COAG meeting is certainly going to be very interesting. I, I saw Frydenberg was in the press today, kind of trying to bully the ACT into submission. And it, it is fair to say that the ACT, if it comes push comes to shove, will find it very difficult uh, to stand against the NEG alone. And it's not even clear to me that if the ACT was against it, that it wouldn't go ahead just the same. I think I personally am more interested in how the Victorian government and the Queensland government, which have played their cards fairly close to their chest so far, uh, actually come down. And I think in the end, probably won't because the energy is about politics far more than really than it's about energy policy. It's about taking electricity off the front pages of the paper. It's about, for both sides, making electricity not an issue that is that is going to decide the next federal election. Uh, but in the end, it's the electricity consumers, it's electricity retailers, it's electricity generators that have to live with the policies if the energy is adopted. And as you know, at least as well as I do, when you get down into the bowels of it, it's a, it's, there's a lot of technical stuff to work your way through, even if you're an optimist. Yeah, well, look, um, and um, the, um, the Energy Security Board has published um, at least most of the submissions that were made to its consultation paper. Um, extraordinary detail there and not a lot of positive support apart from... Um, you know, a few of the biggest lobby groups, but um, even the ACCC and um, a whole bunch of retailers, even some of the big network providers were complaining about um, the potential for reduced competition and higher prices. Uh, Even GenX, I was quite surprised, GenX was warning um, they're building that Kidston pumped hydro with solar up in Queensland. They were warning that if you go, uh, go through with this at this, the way it's done now, 
it's going to kill in investment in um, in more such storage um, plants. Tesla was warning warning the same thing about battery storage. So they've just geez, they've got a lot of work to do, haven't they? Well, we already know that capital expenditure requires confidence. Uh, this is a very well known thing, but it's worth saying again here in this podcast. Podcast comes from confidence of one sort, or your confidence comes from you know, one sort or another, but you have to believe that whatever policies are adopted, your project is going to be able to make a return. A number of projects around Australia, whether it's Snowy 2 at the upper end or GenX at the smaller end and a host in between, uh, the Solar Reserve Project are all trying to raise capital. That capital, if to be provided at the right cost, people have to have confidence that the policies that are in place will support the investment over the longer term. And, and I don't want to stand in the way of it too much, and it wouldn't matter if I did, but uh, it's just not clear how it's all going to work under the NEG or how something like Snowy 2 could have got up under, under the reliability uh, kind of component of it. But, you know, if we get bogged down in the details discussing that, Giles, we'll go on for an hour, uh, and, and I'm not sure our readers, readers will be, listeners will be much better off. Oh, look, I'm sure they'd be delighted. But look, we'll, just, we'll just close off the, the neg here by observing that the meeting with COAG is in three weeks. What I'm expecting then is to come with a high level. In other words, we've taken consideration of the... Um, of the uh, feedback. We haven't actually come up with a firm answer yet. Yet We're looking at it. Trust us, give us another couple of months to come up with the right answer. And I don't think that's gonna get rejected at COAG. I think they'll probably give them more time, but the crunch will come at the next time when they provide the details and that'll be sometime in August. Uh, that's what I suspect anyway. That, that sounds uh, pretty right. Um, I, I wouldn't surprise me. I mean, Frydenberg would like to have a win on the issue and if he can get an in principle win in August, uh, that would suit him just fine. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. You might get an in-principle win in April, but maybe not in August. Now, a um, couple of other reports have coming out. Look, it's been deluging reports. And um, when the AMC and the AEMO put out reports, they, they seem to start at 200 pages and work their way upwards from there. Um, the AMC, look, really interesting looking at the AMC report about the last year, the performance of the Australian energy market and the focus on sort of reliability and performance. And also the AEMO paper, which came out um, on Tuesday afternoon, talking about the future and all the things that needed to change, and particularly the rules. It just reminded me one thing is that the AEMC paper, certainly the way they portrayed their, their press release and the way it was portrayed in the media was something like, oh, woe is us, we are losing, um, um, we're losing synchronous generation, what are we to do? And the AEMO paper saying, hey, we're in the middle of this transition. We've got to change these rules to make sure that we can hold everything together. One just seems to be very backward looking. One thing seems to be quite forward looking, I guess. No surprise to us, but I guess it just sort of underlines the fact that it's not just sort of politics sort of working of, of various things working against each other. It's also people with different views about the energy market and how that should be run and the energy system and how that will progress and all the different things that need to be done to get together because it's not just the neg that needs to work it's also these detailed rules of the market that need to um, need to be evolved and quite quickly uh, that's right and yet they won't be because the rules in invariably are quite complex i think uh we, we were we were some of the first uh let's fight, let's pat ourselves on the back giles nobody else will uh, to to um, identify that the AEMO and the AMC had something of a conflict going on, and let's um, and I don't think that's particularly changed. Uh, the AMC, in my view, has a relatively outdated view of the world, 
but it's also they also have a lot of support the AEMC within the system and it's not the AEMO view which you and I might think is a more forward-looking view isn't universally accepted but I keep coming back to the plan and I still personally believe that if we can agree on a plan of where we want to get to in 20 or 30 years time then the rules and everything else will fall into place uh, because it will become clear which policy choices will most likely enable us to achieve the goals that we set. And the trouble is there's still too much fighting about where the goalposts, uh, to mix a metaphor, actually are on the field. Well, well, according to the Reputex um, report that was delivered on Monday and also Gordon Weiss's series that he did for Renew Economy over the last three days. A very good series. A very good series. Well, they argue that the goalposts have actually been taken off the field. Um, and in fact, business as usual actually accomplish more than what um, the NIG is, um, will do under the current policies. And I guess that comes out of that problem. You actually need a target. You need to actually accept that we've got to move forward um, before. And, and then things will fall into place because um, I think that's just the way it, um, it is. Look, let's move away from policy and things for the moment. Look, I know you've got a couple of things to, to, to talk about. I just want to talk about Carlton United Breweries. Um, I was aware, um, or oh, we wrote about it about a year ago, we found out that their global share um, um, owner, um, Anheuser-Busch Indev, have got this policy to be 100% renewables by 2025. And we thought, oh, well, that's all quite jolly. I'm sure Fosters will come to the party. Well, they have. They've signed a contract for this new solar farm happening in Victoria, 112 megawatt at Caradoc. And they're going to put rooftop solar in all their major um, brewery sites, and they reckon they're going to be at 100% renewables by the end of this year. Just shows. <laughs> Except they won't be, uh, because they'll need to firm up their electricity supply as well, just like everyone else. But it's, it's certainly wonderful. And, uh, you know, Fosters are certainly going to come to any party. Most parties I've been at, there's been a Fosters or two. <laughs> But uh, what uh, the, the bigger point I, I would make here is that a lot of the impetus and the, for the policies that I support is coming from internationally, but particularly from Europe, uh, where I guess many of the big global corporates are further along in their thinking. And it's the Australian locals who, uh, let's, who are fairly um, um, insular uh, that are gradually having to adjust. And the economics for uh, putting... PV on the roof of factories uh, and for supporting renewable energy are very clear in terms of the energy that you buy and that they've been clearer and clearer every year. But the question that we are going to increasingly come up against, the one that I've devoted most of my waking time to thinking about these days, is how to firm up uh, the, the variable renewable energy from wind and PV so that we can be globally competitive in electricity. Look, this is really interesting, actually, because we see sort of broader costs of sort of firming up PV. And if you look at the Andrew Blaker's um, work for the ANU, and if you look even at the AGL work on, on how do you replace Liddell, they sort of argue that um, solar plus backup, be it, you know, storage or some gas peaking plant or demand management or a mixture of all are actually cheaper than um, even continuing an old clunker like Liddell. But you're, what you're talking here, it seems to me, is something a little bit different because you're talking about the... Um, you're talking about the fosters of the world, and it's all very well to put for them to put in solar enough solar to generate the equivalent of their annual electricity use. But what you're saying is that you've actually got to be able to source your supply in the market, so or source the supply that you will need when the solar 
is not being produced. And that comes down to way, the way you structure contracts in the market. And I'm guessing then that that's the big headache for most big energy users. Well, I think so. You know, your friendly retailer, which has been selling you electricity, uh, suddenly take, finds that you're um, taking away, say, 60 or 70% of the bill, but want to, be, want to get the same price for the other 30%. And, and the retailers jacking up at that and, you know, further up the value chain, uh, some thermal power station, let's call it a coal one, uh, suddenly sees that it's only got, you know, a third of the hours to run in total that it used to have to, and it's still got to pay off the interest on its debt. And, and this is um, a, a problem. It's not really a problem in the system in Australia at the moment, but it's, an incre- it's, a, it's something that continues to become, as the share of variable renewable energy rises in our economy, towards the level that Europe is already at, towards the level that California is already at, towards the level that Texas is already at. As we get up to that share, we have to think more and more uh, about how to firm it up, particularly in the context of all these coal stations that are going to be retiring over the next 20 years. And that is the essential challenge that is not really addressed uh, in a meaningful way by the NEG. The concept is there of we have to have dispatchable electricity, but the plan to get from here to there, which has been developed by the AEMO, has not been endorsed yet and, and, and not been really thought about hard enough by enough people. Were you banging your finger on the table as you were making those points, David? Uh, Charles, any, anyone would think I was a little bit passionate about this and speaking to an audience of several thousand people. Well, you are, you are, and you are. Um, though I would like you to define the term friendly retailer. Uh, your friendly retailer is one is one who thinks that he can do a better deal for you uh, and, is prepared, and is prepared to do that deal. That's what I define as friendly. <laughs> Mates rates. Now, Mates rates. Okay, fair enough. Now, look, um, you've been trolling through some other documents, um, I think, um, from the AER. Um, what did you find? Well, this is the other part of it. We spend 90% of our time talking about generation on this podcast. The uh, electricity industry spends 90% of its time talking about generation, whether it's in front or behind the meter. And yet there's this huge chunk of value. The biggest uh, companies, some of them, are all in the wires and poles space. Um, The wires and poles sector is grappling with the fact that the amount of energy going through it is remaining constant all the time, but they are having to spend capital all the time. uh, And, uh, you know, how do they get a return on their investment? And when interest rates were very low, Uh, um, offshore investors were prepared to pay very big prices for the New South Wales distributors and to value the existing ones uh, listed on the market quite highly or or to take them over. A lot of that's happened. But uh, what we find underneath it all is that the the AER has published a review of the network's performance um, over the last five years. It's the first time they've had a look at the five five-year history or six-year history. And what I was looking at, the employee numbers, for instance, in New South Wales have gone down from a a peak of 6,000 in 2011 to something like 4,000 by 2016. Uh, There's been nearly as sharp a reduction in essential in uh, in New South Wales, which and uh, Endeavour, uh, which I think is your network, isn't it, uh, Giles? No, I'm essential, actually. You're essential. Essential's mm. done a very. Their employee numbers have gone down from five thousand to under three thousand. So there's quite a lot of work at actually getting the employee numbers down and trying to hold the um, uh, share of the electricity bill or the absolute price that networks are responsible for 
um, at, at, at least at a constant level. But in the end, if they keep spending money, uh, as we've discussed a lot before, um, uh, the only electricity bills for customers are going to stay high uh, because the return on the capital, a return on capital that networks need, uh, is also staying high. If you look at it, the actual return on the regulated asset base, never mind the OPEX, never mind the return you have to get for capital expenditure, the return they get for those wires and poles that have been there for 40 years on average uh, is about a third of the price that the average household has to pay every quarter. And the question is, can that go on into infinity? Which is what, which is what the uh, model suggests it can do. Well, um, that's a really interesting point. In fact, it's one that you raised um, in last week's um, Energy Insiders podcast um, when we were talking to the CEO of Osgrid, and um, I don't think um, he was too comfortable with his response. And um, yes, look, well, well, what is the um, what is the solution? I mean, I've always thought it'd be right, have to be write downs, but nobody wants to do that. Well, I, I'm, I think it is a, it is a problem. The networks keep fiddling with trying to change their pricing. Me- uh, mechanisms to encourage one form or another form of behaviour. So we've seen a lot of talk, as you know, about maximum demand pri- pricing as opposed to um, uh, pricing on the basis of consumption. But the fact is the two are fairly correlated anyway. In the end, uh, if you look at the statistics, it's probably not going to change the total picture all that much. And my personal view has always been that you want to discourage or incentivise energy efficiency, uh, which you do by keeping the bills high. And then we also need to find this mechanism to, uh, allay, to that will facilitate the growth of greater grid resiliency. Not that the grid's unreliable, really. Let's face it, the minutes of supply aren't all that bad, even though they're responsible for most of the blackouts. We have a very high quality of supply in Australia, generally speaking. But nevertheless, mm. as we progress forwards, we want to get more of these uh, meters. What I was disappointed in was that the actual, you know, the chief executives of these companies can't talk about the penetration of communicating meters, which are the foundation. We all agree they're the foundation block of the, of the modern grid. And yet no one actually knows how many of them are out there, except in Victoria. I mean, that's a bit weird, don't you think? Oh, look, it is. Um, because that's one of the, the funny things about the market. I mean, there's, there's that, there is so much we don't know, um, extraordinary, about um, about what's out there. We don't seem to know. Um, well, they're trying to do a register now for battery storage installations that are going to be put in. But even the basics, I mean, if you go back to the South Australian blackout, the um, AEMO had no idea about the settings of the software settings on the wind farms, that they'd sort of switched themselves off after um, a couple of interruptions. They had no idea when the same thing happened to gold and gas plants about 10 years beforehand. Um, they've got little idea about the relaxation of the governor mechanisms, which dictates how quickly the coal and gas generators respond to faults in the system. Um, there's a lot which is uncertain, and, um, and sometimes it just seems to be hanging by a thread. Yes, so I agree with you. In the end, I suppose the value of the RABs will have to be written down at some point in the future, but I don't detect there's any enthusiasm for doing that at the moment. Uh, and the question for me now is that the AER is reviewing the rate of return guideline, uh, which will become much harder to appeal against because we've abolished these appeals to the competition tribunal. And to my, my mind, the questions are the same as we, I asked Richard Gross last week, is whether it's appropriate to have a, a market risk premium for those people that are familiar with how the cost of capital is measured um, uh, of 6.5% uh, and whether a beta of, of 0.7 within that is right. So I won't get bogged down, too bogged down on the technical details there. 
but I would think there's a case for actually cutting those, shaving those numbers uh, a little bit going forward. But I do want to give a credit to the um, uh, AER for, for these regulatory statements that they now publish for anyone who's enthusiastic enough to go and read them and download the Excel spreadsheets. You can see how much electricity at what price points is going through the network in a way that was totally impossible three or four years ago. Uh, you can see the number of customers, you can see the number of substations, you can see where the investment dollars of, of the regulated asset base are, are, are put together. So we are putting together these foundations uh, of a system where we can understand what value we're getting for the electricity dollars that we're spending. Terrific. Look, I think it's probably about time to wind up, David. Look, um, good to talk as normal. What else do we have? Anything coming up in the next week or two? Do you know? Uh, personally, I no, the answer is no. Nothing specific. That Easter is coming up, Giles. I, I, <laughs> uh, and I, I guess it's been a busy period uh, for all of us. Um, I guess Re Renew Economy itself has become a more popular website, and I suspect that increases the workload somewhat, somewhere, somehow or other. Um, there's a lot of people wanting to understand where electricity prices are going to go. Um, of course, it's not just the futures price, but we look at those REC prices out in 2020 to 2030 period. And I guess we'll continue this. Um, I know what's coming up. The, um, um, the, 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 there's a, another big NEG seminar being run uh, in the next week or so uh, by the Australian Institute of Energy. Uh, and that's going to be a half-day seminar with a lot of people covering it. So I, I suspect a lot of these sort of uh, technical issues that have been uh, thought about will be re-aired, and maybe the Energy Security Board will have had time to think about those and disclose a bit more. Good stuff. Look, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank our sponsors, Solaray and Watchers, for their continuing and ongoing support of the um, Energy Insiders podcast. Um, I think a couple of weeks ago, we actually got past 100,000 downloads on our podcast, which is very gratifying, and it seems to be increasing now. And um, David, I'd like to thank you for your ongoing contribution and for today's chat. Giles, it's been an absolute pleasure. And, uh, you know, I think it's uh, great that so many people take an interest in electricity and uh, that you and I and all the guests that we have are in a position to provide the discussion. And thank you to the listener once again. Um, please leave a review um, on your favourite platform. Please tell your friends about it and um, give us your feedback. And um, one of these days, I think we're going to have to have a read a question um, segment. So we might not be able to do it live or people phone in, but we could make, maybe get your emails and um, we can answer some of your most pressing questions. But for now, that's it for today. And thanks very much and talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Solar Ray Energy, leading innovators of smart energy management technology. Experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, they're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solarray.com.au and secure your energy future today. Energy Insiders was also brought to you by Wattwatches, makers of ultra-smart devices to manage electricity use and costs. Accurately monitor and control electrical circuits over the internet in real time. Visit whatwatches.com.au and take control of your energy use.